to the episode. Today we are discussing the readings for the fourth Sunday of Advent, the final Sunday in Advent. Remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, share, subscribe, leave us a review, all the things that help us battle the algorithm gods. If you want to ask us a question, you can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will answer it on the podcast. But first, the sacred and the profane. So the seven days leading up to Christmas, we have the famous O antiphons. So you have O Sapientia, O Wisdom, O Adonai, O Lord. You have the Root of Jesse, the Key of David, all these different things. And these are said before Vespers. The, they're the antiphon for the Magnificat. If you, right. if you pray the divine office, you'll, you'll see them there. They also appear as the antiphon to the gospel, the gospel antiphon at mass. Okay, yep. So if you've been looking up. Are they the same antiphon? Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, if it's the 17th, which was a wisdom. Like before the Magnificat of that day, yep. it's also at the gospel, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah so they, they share the same antiphon each time, and each antiphon is supposed to, in these kind of final days leading up to Christmas to the culmination, they're supposed to be kind of, they encapsulate different aspects of the longing for the Messiah mm-hmm. and serve as a reflection on the attributes of Christ and, and uh, I think different titles as well. You know, the key of David symbolizing the authority of Christ. And then all the way up to the final day, which is the 20, I should say that these run from the 17th to the 23rd. Mm-hmm. So in case, in case you didn't know, this, those were the seven days before Christmas. Yes, but <laughs> if you uh, wanted the exact dates, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. So the final right. antiphon is, uh, O Emmanuel, so God with us from Isaiah. So it's the, the celebration or the, the foretelling or the prophecy of God's presence, God's presence and God's closeness to humanity. So those are, those are kind of fun. I think if you go to a different... Christmas concerts or, or you know, choirs. Sometimes, well, I feel like Christmas choirs. They yep. usually sing. And at the, the um, high school that I'm a chaplain at, uh, there's a big white wall across from uh, the campus ministry uh, department, and we, during um, the last week that the kids are in during Advent, we put up the O antiphons mm. up there, so the kids can pass by and look at look at pictures that depict. Uh, they're longing for Christ <laughs> or the longing to get out of school, whichever one. So, yeah. They're closely united. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the longing to get out of school and the longing for Christ. Yeah, something about freedom, right? And yeah. Freedom yeah. from sin, freedom from school. Yeah, it's all the same. Right, freedom from the law. St. <laughs> Paul would say. So, I, we can dive into the readings if you want. We can. Yes. If you're... Um, yep. Fourth Sunday of Advent. Last, uh, last Sunday. Uh, yeah, the final Sunday here. The final Sunday. How long does the fourth week of Advent, Advent last this year? What, 12 hours or something? Maybe maybe Not less. even, right? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I guess you have the fourth Sunday of Advent, and then... It technically, te- it can begin um, at uh, the you know evening prayer one. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, um, yeah Vespers one. That would be one, that uh, Saturday night. No, I'm sorry, Friday night, right? No, 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 no I'm sorry, Saturday night. I'm getting... Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's, getting, it's, it's so... Confused. Right. Well, it it would be Sun um, Sunday night, right? Because you have fourth the fourth Sunday of Advent. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so, then later that night. Yeah. Is so 
Christmas Eve. Right. So Saturday of the third week of Advent, um, that vigil, right, that night, you can celebrate uh, fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, and then it goes until, in our diocese, the bishop gave us permission to start um, Christmas Eve Masses at 2 p.m. So it's it would be, I guess that's like, what, 20 hours of the, the Sunday? The fourth Sunday of Advent this year lasts for like 20 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... You're right. The the fourth Sunday of Advent would begin on evening prayer one of, on, on Saturday. Exactly. Yeah, and that it would run until evening prayer one of of the of Christmas. Yeah. So yeah, I think which this year yeah, is like eight, one p.m. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> one thirty. Yeah. So yeah, not even usually you have kind of a twelve hours right, like five p.m. to maybe you know five p.m. or something right, like that. Right. But um, or that's not twelve hours. But um. So it's a very it's you a can, very abbreviated. Yeah, I don't know my math. It's, oh. a, <laughs> it's a very abbreviated uh, fourth Sunday of Advent this year. Yeah. Um, and so because Christmas falls on a Monday, uh, for anyone who needs a reminder, you have to go to Mass for the fourth Sunday of Advent, and you have to go to Mass on Christmas Day. That's right. Just, no, no bogo. No, Buy yeah. one get one. Yeah. <laughs> Double dip. Exactly. Right. Um, so I think the move is, you know, if you're. Um, practical with your mass attendance is to go to Saturday evening mass for the um, for the vigil of the Sunday and then uh, you can either go on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day so that would be my move you do yeah. what you need to do yeah so. just just don't double dip right you just, wouldn't yeah you wouldn't double dip at a party so you <laughs> <went> to... <laughs> yeah just go to mass twice that weekend so yeah okay that's that's good. So only a few hours of the fourth at fourth Sunday, Sunday or fourth yeah. week of Advent. Not even a week. The f- the fourth Sunday of a couple hours. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into the readings. The first reading. So we have a lot of biblical prophecy, a lot of kind of like foreshadowing, a lot of foreshadowing, and yeah. and fulfillment, ty- typology, type archetype, kind of that going on mm-hmm. throughout the readings, or, or I should say, especially the first reading in the gospel. So the first reading comes from the second book of Samuel, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm at the wrong thing here. Uh, so yeah, second book of Samuel. So this is the story of King David. It says here that he has finally put all of his his kingdom to rest. He's put, he's put down all of his en- enemies, and there's kind of harmony and peace in the kingdom. And so he's lying on his bed, and he thinks, here I am in a really nice palace, a palace of cedar, and yet the Ark of the Covenant is still, or the Ark of God, same thing, but he calls it the Ark of God, is still dwelling in a tent. Mm-hmm. I'm in a nice house. God's in a tent. I'm going to build him a nice house. I'm going to build something for God. And he tells this to the prophet Nathan. Nathan says, go do it. But then God gives Nathan a prophecy that, and, and through through this prophecy, God speaks that it's God who will build the house. Mm-hmm. So the action is switched here is that David will not build the house of God. God will build his own house. Right. It, it's, it's God that will establish this. But I think there's a bit of a play on words because David wants to build a physical house for God. But God says, I will build you a dynasty. Yeah. So, like a house in the figurative sense, right. not in the literal sense. Like right. a, you know, kind of your family is a household. Right. So he says, "I will, 
I will build, I'll establish a house with you. This is also where you get the prophecy of, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom will, shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. Right. Which we will see in that because we'll see it fulfilled in the gospel. Right. And so, um, you know, it's important to know that our Lord is not denying David, um, David's desire to build a house. Um, he still, you know, begins the temple construction. Uh, but I think what's, what's interesting here is that David has this desire to house God, to kind of protect the Ark of the Covenant and to give it its, you know, um, due reverence by having, as he says, a, a beautiful house. You know, here I am living in a house of cedar and, you know, the Lord of Lords is dwelling in a tent and he sees the disparity there, the, how inappropriate that is. And so this desire to, to house God, you know, to protect it and reverence it, um, it, I feel like God here is reminding him like, yes, while you can, you know, reverence the Ark of the Covenant, always remember that it is I who built a house for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, the, that irony there, that while God is, the presence of God is kept within the Ark it's actually God keeping the house of David within himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so there's that interesting dynamic of like, it's an, it's an irony. That's what I see it as an, an irony. Um, as we see later, you know, that, that same irony is taking place in the gospel. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, kind of just keeping that irony a little bit, you also have this idea that the, the Ark of the Covenant for David, it seems, is something bigger than just a a symbol it seems like it seems it seems as though <clears throat> that david believes that god is in some sense in the ark like he dwells in the ark mm-hmm. which is true i mean that's how they that's how the israelites saw it yeah but at the same time he's not contained by the ark right you know it's, it's almost as if you know it's like you build a house to to house god even though all of creation is God. Right, right, exactly. You know, it's the same thing now with churches. It's like you have a church. It's like this is a consecrated place to where we go and worship. And then inside that church is also a tabernacle. Yeah. And you go there to to have a particular experience of God. You, you believe that God dwells in a different way there. But yet also everything is God's. Like how can you contain <laughs> the uncontainable? Right. right. Um, that's the, yeah, that's right. the tension there. And we'll see that, again, the par- that paradox in the Gospels. Like how how is it? that an uncontainable God is contained in these different structures right. of, of church, house, temple, building. Yep. Or, and sorry, then, um, you know, it, with our know. belief in the Eucharist and even, um, you know, prior to that, our belief in the dogma of the incarnation, um, you have, this is the great miracle of the, uh, you know, the infinite becoming a finite fact, right? Um, eternity um, being contained within the, in the temporal realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's, I, I believe we, we spoke about this last week where, um, you know, Christianity is a, is a religion of paradoxes, right? Um, and perhaps the greatest paradox of all is the incarnation, um, where, you know, the, again, the uncontainable, the eternal, um, the timeless is born within a specific time, right? Contained within, um, within that, which is in temporal. So it's a beautiful paradox. Yeah, and those paradoxes will continue in the gospel. Uh, but definitely want to pin this prophecy of the ark, because we'll see some t- typology in the gospel about the ark of God. Yes. 
Um, one last point, too, that I have on a fir- um, this first reading is um, David's desire um, to build God an appropriate place of dwelling. Um, he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. I think it's it's very nice to point to this whenever people wonder, why do we have nice churches for God? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, it's this is if you're in touch with the divine, right? If you have your your nature properly ordered, perhaps you know we can even point to that symbolically as saying when when you are settled in your palace, <laughs> um, within your heart of hearts, right? Your intuition should be that that which is divine deserves a sacred space. You know, um, if something is valuable to you, you're not going to throw it in a corner with you know your trash, right? You're not going to. Um, put it under your bed and, um, well, maybe for safekeeping, but that's besides the point. Um, the point is, if you value something, and indeed, you know, if you value it above all things, then of course you're going to treat it with reverence, right? There's going to be a sense of, well, no, this deserves a nicer place, right? Um, and I think that that kind of flies in the face of um, modern American Christianity that can tend to some some sects of Christianity can tend to treat God as so spiritual that it's divorced from any uh, physical or, or tangible reality. Uh, like all that matters is that, uh, you know, we, we gather together, it could be in a gym, that's fine. It could be these huge plasma screen TVs. And, you know, that's like what, what matters is that we're communing with God together. The, the, the physical reality around us doesn't matter. Yes, insofar as that, you know, um, you don't have to pray in a church only, right? Sure. Um, but in accordance with our a proper intuition, we should give God the greatest things that we can that we can give Him, gold and you know uh, materials that are um, dignified to worship. Um, and so I think that that's like what David's expressing here is kind of what the church expresses in. Um, in her great churches, cathedrals, and, and, and places of worship. Um, yeah, I think that's a that's a great insight into wh- why we do have such we place such emphasis on beauty in yeah. churches and beauty and, and putting it, a lot of effort into making it beautiful. There there is a place, of course, for sacred simplicity. You know, and I don't think that sacred simplicity <clears throat> and what might be seen as opulence are necessarily against each other. Right. It's just a, I don't want to say an aesthetic preference, mm-hmm. but God can dwell in both. And I, I think sometimes you're right. We kind of tend towards maybe we think a sacred simplicity, but actually it could be just like a laziness right. or like a weird sort of Gnosticism about, right. well, like it, it's God dwells, in the temple of my soul. So who really like cares about the building? Yep. And I, I think that's, that's a cop out. If it's true, sacred simplicity, then like I said, there's a place for that. Otherwise, I, I think we're, we're, we're just saying that we don't want to invest in beautiful, right, <laughs> in, right. in beautiful structures, but also right. there, there is that. And that's, I feel like, I mean, you look all throughout the ancient world, if you want to talk about like David's time, other than the Kings, it might be because they were also considered divine. Uh, not David, but other cultures. Mm-hmm. But it was really the king and the temple that had 
right. the most beauty is right. because those are kind of the, the two essential things is we need the earthly authority and we need the heavenly authority. Right. And we're going to invest most into those two buildings. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Um, move on to the, the psalm. Yes. So the psalm picks up <clears throat> on this idea of promise that that we heard about in the first reading. So it's from the 89th psalm, and it's it's the psalmist is speaking of the the promises of the Lord, and that the Lord will promise to kind of establish a, a covenant with His chosen one, David, and for all generations this this throne will remain. And in fact, he kind of quotes David here and says, he shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my sa- my savior. Forever I will maintain my kindness towards him and my covenant with him shall stand forever. So you almost get a a hymn of praise to what was heard in the first reading. Right. And it's kind of a poetic expansion of the promise to David that his throne will last forever. Right. But as we'll see, this this promise is fulfilled in a different way because so far what you're hearing is a, a dynasty and a kingdom, mm-hmm. and you're so you're thinking that the Davidic kings will never go away, which is a source of great confusion and I don't know, maybe doubt or anxiety for the Israelites when Jerusalem is conquered and they're led into Babylonian captivity. Is was wait a second? I thought the promise to David was that your throne will last forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And then even in Christ's time, they're occupied by the Romans. So how is this promise going to be fulfilled? Of course, we know. We'll get to it. That yeah. It's fulfilled differently. But it seems right now they're speaking very much of the, the earthly promise. Right. And, um, you know, it, yeah, what's beautiful about um, the psalm, but also like its, con- its connection to the first reading, is that... Um, there's a sense of remembrance of the things that God has done for David and also the things that he will continue to do, right? And that's, you know, in, in many cases, that's the source of David's um, uh, desire to sing. Uh, you know, forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. You know, his um, praising God with inspired hymns and psalms. Um, it's remembering what he has done for him in the past and then that he will continue to establish that um, dynasty into the future. Um, and that's what that's what gives rise to, to David's song. So Yeah, that's the covenantal promise, promise yeah, of, exactly. of blessing and kind of, in, you know, I have brought you to this point in the past, in the present, I'm establishing this covenant yeah. and into the future. Yeah, exactly. I will keep it. Spans all, all time. So. Yes. Uh, do you want to move on to the second reading? Sure. The, yeah. the, the psalm is pretty short, compact, and I think it kind of just expands upon the first reading right, and, right. and really hitting home this point of of a promise that will endure, the yeah. promise to David. Um, so, yeah, there's not much there, or not much more to say. Not much more to say. Yeah. From, anyway. Simple but powerful. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the, the second reading is from Romans, the end of Romans uh, Paul's kind of farewell doxology here. But uh, what I wanted to hit on was his his word here of according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but now manifested through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God. 
So you have this idea of revelation and mystery. So mystery being a very popular Gnostic term, right? But the way that St. Paul uses mystery here is not something that is is supposed to be only for the elect mm-hmm. or only for the few, but it's more it's always a demonstrating God's hidden plan of salvation. So it's the revelation of the kind of hidden plan of salvation kept secret for long ages. So the plan of, of the incarnation was perhaps hinted at in the prophetic writings. But now they're kind of more manifested. Now when we look back, St. Paul is saying, when you look back, you see the clear evidence that Christ is going to come or that God was going to come in in the incarnation. And fulfill these. Right. Yeah. And I I, I like the kind of ideas of revelation of the mystery because that is what that – that is a mystery is – or that I think that's a good definition of mystery is it's not something that is unknown – but something that can only be known through revelation, through an right. unveiling. And then then from there, you kind of expand upon it. Right. And that's where we're getting the idea that, you know, we are living in an um, apocalyptic time with, you know, Christ's resurrection. He has revealed to us the plan, God's plan. Um, and that revelation is can be understood as living in the eschaton. Like this is, we're living in the final days, right? Um, when we, when we, call Christ uh, the firstborn of the dead. Um, we're living in a new era. And this era is is, is where, where the veil is pulled back and we get to see um, those things that have been kept secret. We see the mind of God. Um, again, like you said, hinted at um, in the Old Testament, but now at last revealed in the person of Christ. So You also have this idea of... Th- according to the command of the eternal God, so that the, the mystery of salvation and the mystery of, of time, the mystery of, of faith, all these different aspects are ultimately revealed by God mm-hmm. in, in, in his time. That even though there may have been prophecy about it, it could never have been fully revealed unless by the command of God. Right. That everything happens in his timing and in his way, yeah, exactly. as, as he wills, at his command, it says. And, you know, and that's, um, I'm just, yeah, realizing how that, that's kind of connected to the first reading, in a sense, where, you know, it's, it's not, even though David's desire to build God a um, fitting place of rest, it's God who establishes the, the house first, right? Um, likewise, uh, it's God who has revealed these things, Um According to the command of the eternal God, um, yes, Jesus Christ is both God and man, but salvation comes first through God, right? Through mm-hmm. His divinity. Um, it's always like He's the one who acts and initiates. Um, yeah, that's true. David had a plan, a, a different plan for how he was going to take care of God, mm-hmm. but then God kind of comes and says, "No, my eternal command." Is how I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of thing. And that's 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 a, a mystery of revelation that he couldn't he couldn't have come to unless God kind of reveals that. Exactly. We we can't come to unveil the mysteries for ourselves. Yeah. Our minds are not that great <laughs> to, yeah. <laughs> to be able to do that. So yeah. Okay. Uh any other thoughts? 
Um, no, we can move to the gospel. Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to the gospel here. So we have from Luke from Luke twenty six to through thirty eight. This is the very popular annunciation. Yep. Angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces the birth of Christ or, yep. or the the incarnation of Christ. So there's there's a lot a lot here that we can. We can unpack, and like I said, there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of typology. Mm-hmm. So, first, you have the the greeting, "Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you." So, this "full of grace," we can we can get a technical with it if we if we wanted. Yeah, but it's it's that very special Greek word, right? A I have it here. Is it a m- past perfect participle of Greek of the word Greek. So it means has yeah. so it's has been graced with this right. idea of continuing to be graced in the future. Right, right. I've also heard that perhaps a more fitting translation could be perfected in grace as well. Yeah. Um and so this is this is where we get our um dogma of uh Mary's sinlessness. Right. Um you know it uh, um just from a logical point of view, you cannot, you cannot be in sin and yet be full of grace, right? Um, yes. They're incompatible with each other. And so if the angel um, Gabriel is com- uh, declaring that Mary is full of grace, that means that there's no room inside her soul for sin. Um, yeah. And so this is, yeah, again, this is where we get our understanding of Mary's sinlessness. Yeah, this makes me think of St. John the Cross and the whole idea of, of emptying oneself mm-hmm. is to be filled with God. But God cannot be... F- God cannot fill a space that's already filled with something else. Right. So exactly. its idea is you kind of, in a way, like drain sin and fill it with God. Right. But but they can't exist as, not only just because of kind of this and physical analogy of being filled up, but also because they're spiritually contraries. You right. Know, sin and grace are are contraries. But you're right. So we have this idea of being graced in the past, in the present, and then continuing in the future. But I like that idea of perfected in grace. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a better way to say it. Because yeah. there's all kinds of translations of full of grace, gifted lady or something right, like that I've sure. seen and or highly favored one. Right. And I think all of them are true. Like that's why they're translated that way. But it's the eternal it's the constant struggle, I should say, of do you translate idiomatically or do you literally literally or do you you kind of say right it doesn't actually say this but it means this right so that's above my pay grade i don't (laughs) yeah yeah it's above mine i just remember some some of my greek classes and particularly this word was what what do you do with with situations like this like how do you you know if you were to actually say what it means it would add several words that aren't there but right. it means anyway. That's I, that's a different. Topic, well, I, different I think, um, yeah. When I was um, studying this uh, in Luke, um, this idea of being perfected in grace, um, my professor connected it to Paul. I can't remember the exact place right now, but somewhere in Scripture, <laughs> as the church fathers, um, as the church fathers yeah. say, yeah, <laughs> as it is written somewhere. Um, Paul would say, uh, "I he, he is waiting the perfection of grace." Mm-hmm. He says, "I am not yet perfected in it." Right, mm-hmm. um, but here. 
the angel Gabriel is saying, Hail Mary, you are already perfected in grace. Yeah. Um, so it's placing Mary in a special, um, uh, putting her in a special place among um, humanity. So. so then we have the second half. So you have hail full of grace, <clears throat> and then the Lord is with you. So Ratzinger connected this Lord is with you as also being connected to the the Ark of the Covenant and and this prophecy from Zephaniah, the, the third chapter of Zephaniah, where he says, Re- rejoice, daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord is in your midst. Yeah. So he's connecting the daughter of, or, I'm sorry, daughter of Zion, the daughter of Zion to Mary, and this idea of the Lord is in your midst, is he's drawing on uh, allusions from in Exodus, where the Ark of the Covenant is said to literally be in the womb of Israel. Mm. The Ark of the Covenant is 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 being um, contained, carried, contained or, yeah, in in right. in the kind of spiritual body of Israel in in its womb. So here he's saying that the Lord is is going to be in your womb. The Lord, as the Ark of the Covenant was in the womb of Israel, you are now a image of Israel, and the Lord is now dwelling in the new Ark, which right. is you. So there's the, the parallels go on about Mary and the Ark. Yeah, as you also have uh, this idea of the the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary, and that comes from that's the same kind of uh, was it Shekinah the the the, the cloud the the, right. the sacred cloud yeah. that overshadows Israel and and and, and is or is a, or is a visible sign of God's presence, but yet it also conceals God. Mm-hmm. You know, a cloud is paradoxically something that right. reveals and, and, and conceals. And so in the same way, it's like God here, the angel is saying that God, uh, you will be a sign of God's presence at, once the Holy Spirit overshadows you, but yet he will also be concealed in your womb. Right, right. Just like the ark, I guess. Yeah, and Mary as the ark is um, it's, it's such a beautiful um, uh image when you consider how the ark you know contained was it the ten commandments and and manna right that's what was yeah was, within yeah the, the ten ark. commandments the manna the manna and um the rod of moses that's right yeah um and so those are also images uh, prefigurements of christ himself yes um the manna being uh, an uh, an image of uh, the eucharist um and then the the old law, right, which is now fulfilled in Christ, who is a new law, um, and so, just as the ark contained the law and the, the the that which sustained the Israelites, so too now does Mary, as the new ark, contain the very body of Christ, the bread, the bread of life, right. um, and the new law. Um, so yeah, the beautiful uh, prefigurement there. Yeah. So that's the the house. That David wanted to build for the ark, it's like yeah. well now that that house is actually a person. Right, it becomes Mary who houses the ark of, and you know, the ark of her womb. In 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 that ark womb is the true presence of God. Yeah. You know, God himself. and notice just like in the first reading, it wasn't um, Mary who did anything to um, build this house. Right, it was a grace yeah. given to her. Right. Um, just as um, God promised David that he would establish his his place, um, his dwelling place. Right, yeah, this is uh, an action completely of God that, that Mary receives. Yeah. There is also 
I, I don't... Yeah, no, it's here. But I'm going to maybe try to expand upon this. So you also have the image of Mary as the new Eve, mm-hmm. right? So Mary was, or Eve was the, the new mother of all creation. She was created sinless from the side of Adam. So then now you also have here Mary as the sinless Eve, who Eve was supposed to be. And you have new creation idea that with Adam and Eve, humanity started. And then now you have Christ, the second Adam, and Mary, the second Eve, that are now trying to kind of restart right. creation, a, a new creation. I, I would like to try to take this another step. Let's do it. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Deep spiritual well, interpretation. <laughs> yes. This, this, yeah, this is, a, this is like a fifth century interpretation we're going for here. So both Mary and Eve speak to an angel, hmm. right? Yeah. So you have, Sat- of course, you have the serpent later interpreted by the church fathers as Satan. Satan is an angel, fallen angel, but an angel. And you have the, the archangel Gabriel also come mm-hmm. and speak to Mary. So they both speak to angels. But one of them, they both, and, and both angels tell a narrative to the, to the woman. And Eve falls for the, the false narrative, whereas Mary obviously assents to the, the true narrative. And I wonder if the difference is that Mary, when she hears this greeting, ponders. Mm. That the angel comes and says, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Which is perhaps a saying that could have been given to Mary as well. Or to Eve. Uh, I'm sorry, yes, to Eve. Yes, that's right. As yeah. like, the Lord is with you, right? Yeah. You are you are graced. You haven't fallen from sin. Right. You are living in the Garden of Eden. You are in the midst of the Lord. The Lord is with you. But immediately, you know, she's troubled and ponders. So yeah. she dialogues within herself about what this could be. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Now, you could say that the the serpent... Because because Mary, or because Eve, I'm getting all my names mixed up here, because <laughs> Eve didn't ponder within herself the, the promises of, of the serpent, she kind of fell for it. Yeah, interesting. Because the serpent, the whole idea is that he, you know, I don't know, he's like a, an image of an ideology or something. Like, it's yeah. a half-truth, right? He's like, you'll be like gods, and that's true. Yeah. You know, or... Um, even though they they already you know, Adam and Eve in a sense were already like God, but you know your eyes you know will be opened and stuff. All that's true. Yeah. But just not in the way they thought. Right. And Mary here, because of her pondering, or her dialogue within herself, realizes perhaps comes to the comes to realization that this is a a trustworthy narrative. Yeah. No. That's um. That's really fascinating, and I think you're onto something because. In um, Milton's Paradise Lost, when um, right before um, Satan tempts Eve, um, there's this buildup about Eve's beauty, and she's like enamored with herself, right? She like looks in the reflection of the water and sees how beautiful she is, uh, and she's almost like ripe for the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Satan when he tempts Eve, it like it just adds to this narrative that she is beautiful. It's all about her, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have a this distinction between like the woman of pride and the wo- woman of humility, because here G- Gabriel's singing the praises of Mary, in a sense, telling her how beautiful she is. Um, yeah, right. right. Um, mm-hmm. But where Mary, where Eve was uh, uh, tempted by pride to look in in herself and say, "Yes, I am great, and I can." become more than I was created to be. Um, Mary, in humility, um, is troubled and ponders what sort of greeting this might be. She doesn't say, yes, you know, I am beautiful, right? She doesn't take it to herself. I am full of grace. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, And so uh, that's one of the great distinctions between Mary and Eve is humility and and pride. Right. Um, And so I think that just fits fits with your, um, your, your insight there, so... Yeah, I had forgotten about that in Milton, but that's yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, because the angel he said you could you could imagine that both the greetings were the same. You know, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. And then the archangel Gabriel goes on to explain how these things will happen. Mm-hmm. And one of the differences, you know, sometimes the Annunciation to Mary and the Annunciation to Zachariah, uh, Zachariah, yeah. Right? It, they're kind of compared and contrasted because one, sure. you know, Zachariah doesn't believe, therefore is struck mute, whereas Mary does believe. Right. And there are their questions because they both say basically, how is this possible? Right. But but one is of doubt and one is of wonder, I guess you could yeah, say. Like right. There's a difference between their So I questions. I'm not saying that Mary is saying her response when Gabriel says, you know, you'll bear a son, and his name will be Jesus, throne of throne of David. When she says, "How can this be?" Since I have no relations with a man, this is not so much like a prod, like a testing question mm-hmm. to see, like, is this an angel of light, as Saint Paul would say, or that she doubts. But again, I think it's born from a dialogue, right? She, again, yeah. She's dialoguing within herself. Okay, I'm, I'm in a sense like I'm hearing what you're saying, but now I'm curious. You said a wonder. I'm, I'm. Yeah. It's a question of wonder, of how can these things happen, right? Um. And again, I think that that's coming from a place of humility, not of yeah. pride. Uh, you know, and, and humility, ultimately, what humility is, is is being like tied to the earth, right? Like I think it's the same root word that we get humus from, mm-hmm. like of the earth. Yeah. Uh, and so Mary is a person who is very tied to reality. Like she knows this is where we get also the term um, down to earth. Being down to yeah. earth um, is a, so, someone who's humble, and so. When you know someone from heaven is appearing from her, that you know appears to be outside of reality, saying you're full of grace, uh, the Lord is with you, uh, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, even though you have no relations with a man. Mary is, you know, pondering all that that she's ready to believe with what she knows reality to be. Also, yes, also. right. Um, she doesn't have relations with a man. Um, she's a humble handmaid. Um, she's not a great queen. Yet, <laughs> um, and so uh, I, yeah, I think like all of her her pondering and her questioning is just out of this deep sense of humility and, and what she knows to be um, in accordance with reality. Yeah. So you know that's a, that's a good observation about kind of the the feminine being it attached to the earth. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Right. Of the earth. Of yeah. the earth. But it, going back to the comparison again of Eve of Eve's pride. In Mary's humility, Eve grasps for the fruit, 
But at the end mm-hmm. here of the gospel, you have Mary who says, you know, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Right. So this done to me. Yeah. Something may be re- done to me. Something yeah. receptive. And she's yeah. saying, you know, if your words are true, which you know I believe them to be, may they be done unto me, as right. opposed to um this Grasping. again, yeah, this yeah. this this ide- ideology that the serpent offers, which is if you just grasp for this, it'll be yours. Right. Right. Um you know, going uh, going along with this uh, image of the new Eve, um, you know, the, the the tree of of knowledge of good and evil, um, even the serpent on the tree, um, you have that perfect image that's um, of the cross, right? And 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 the cross now as a new tree of life, um, Christ crucified to the cross as sin itself, right? An image of the serpent in the tree. Um, and then Mary at the foot of the cross. And so it, it's um, all that imagery is present um, at the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's where you see Mary as the new Eve again. Yeah, exactly. You're right. And, and just as the serpent uh, in the Old Testament was talking to Eve, so too does you know Christ on the tree talk to, to, to Mary. Um, but it's all um, done from Mary's perspective. Perspective out of this sense of reception, yeah, right. Like um, when he says to Saint John, "Behold your mother," right? Um, there's this idea that Mary is going to go wherever the Lord leads her, um, and that's a big difference between her and Eve. So, yeah, that's right. She'll she'll be led by the Holy Spirit and led by by God. Right? Yep. As, as so even said, as a, as even a on the cross, right? She has this sense of, "Behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word." That like seems to be her motto throughout her entire life. So yeah, yeah, and also this um, this pondering, which you'll get again, are depending upon what reading, what mass you go to, you'll you'll this oh. idea of Marian pondering will come back. Yep. What's interesting about um, the fourth Sunday of Advent, despite what cycle you're in, uh, we are always given a gospel um, that has to do with Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mary is the final meditation before we enter Christmas. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has to do with um, a number of reasons, right? She is the perfect um, model for humanity to receive our Lord. So just at Christmas, we're receiving him. He's going to be born within us. We remember his birth. Um, you know, so too was Mary, the one who received him perfectly. But um, but throughout Advent, we've been remembering all these um, types and all these images prefigurements and prophecies that are leading up to um, the birth of Christ. It's Mary who is um, who conceives as a virgin that is the greatest sign of all. Um, and this is even seen just within the Gospel of Luke, not just um, within the entire body of Scripture. But within Luke, uh, Luke sets up this, um, uh, this idea of Mary uh, uh, conceiving as a virgin, uh, a child, as um, the great sign that um, you can't stop God's will, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, right before, um, right before this encounter uh, in Luke one, um, we heard just this past week uh, in the daily readings, um, uh, angel, uh, the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah, um, and prophesying that Elizabeth, who is barren, shall bear a son. 
And he says, because nothing is impossible with God. And again, we're reminded in this passage, um, you know, as it says here, uh, and behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her, her old age. So we're remembering um, that um, scene um, just that just happened a few verses prior. Um, and Gabriel says again, for nothing will be impossible for God. So what Luke is doing here, I think, is um, setting up the contrast between Elizabeth and Mary. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so well, he says— Well, uh, Elizabeth, or I'm sorry, Mary and Zechariah. Mary and Zechariah, yeah. sure, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Elizabeth, um, in the sense that she's conceiving, uh, she's conceiving through an impossibility. Uh, sure, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and so just as Elizabeth is barren, uh, and the sign that John the Baptist will be born, like this great man comes from this impossibility, then how much more great is it that a virgin will conceive? Sure. Right? Um, and so that's the um, that's the contrast that Luke is setting up here, that um, a virgin birth sim- uh, signals um, the greatest um, man to be born, essentially. Because mm-hmm. throughout the, uh, the Old Testament, you have many um, barren women um, conceiving of great men, right? Uh, Samson was another one that we've just heard this past uh, week. Yeah, yeah, Samson was connected to uh, the first, yeah, that, the, there were dual readings. Or, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, that was the first. The, yeah, reading. the first reading. And to, then um, to um, the uh, appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah. Yeah, you have um, uh, Sarah. Yes, as well. Yep. And then is it Hannah? Hannah too. Um, I'm not sure. Well, there's there's about five or six of them. Yeah. I think. Um, but the okay. point is that like um, I think the, the the barrenness of these um, prophets' mothers um, foretold their great vocations, right? Um, but only Mary was, um, her birth was a greater sign than those women. Um, mm-hmm. you can't beat a virgin birth as, as a great sign. Right. Um, and so, yeah. And, and that's why the church gives us every, uh, fourth Sunday of Advent, Mary to meditate on, um, before we enter into Christmas. So, yeah, no, it's, it's the, the gospel to think about, um, prior to, Christmas. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's the the like uh, kind of penultimate of why we're celebrating Christmas yeah. at all is because of this moment, yep. this annunciation by Gabriel to to Mary about what what will happen. Yeah. Of course, there's a bunch of other typology we can do. There's the name of Jesus of Joshua. Right. You know, the Lord saves. Then there's some typology about you know the, the works of Joshua. Yeah, actually, yeah that's right. Actually, um, I'd like to speak about that really quick. Sure. Um, this idea that Gabriel gives um, gives Mary the name of Jesus. Um, the idea of naming in the Old Testament um, denotes dominion, mm-hmm. right? And so um, just in Genesis, God gives Adam the power to name the animals. He doesn't tell Adam... Uh, Adam Okay, so that's a lion, that's a cow, mm-hmm. right? He says, you shall name the, name the animals. And in naming, in the power of language, um, th- there's a, a, a law that's passed, essentially. You can understand language as law. Um, and so to say, I will name you, meaning, meaning that you have some dominion over that person. Um, and this is, you know, this is why parents, like, name their children. Um, there's a sense of authority there. Like, I give you this name. Because uh, you are part of my family, right? Mm-hmm. But here, Gabriel doesn't allow Mary to name her son. 
um, he says, Behold, you will conceive in your woman bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called. Um, so he's already denoting um, Christ's authority as he belongs to God, essentially. His vocation belongs to God. Same thing is true with John the Baptist. Um, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll call him John. You'll call him John. Yeah. It, it's, it's signifying their great destinies, that they don't belong to their parents. Um, right. their, their, their vocation is something divine. Um, so I always thought that that was a really neat um, uh, detail of just this, this idea of naming. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a name from heaven. A name that, from heaven, that yeah. God, that God gives you, right? It's not, not something that the, the parents decided, but something that was, yeah. again, according to God's eternal command yeah. St. Paul said. Exactly. So. And uh, again, that, that, that um, even showcases more Mary's um, response of letting it be done unto me because even her own son is not hers, right? right. Um, yeah. she, she totally lets go to the, to the will of the Father. So. Yeah. And we have the fulfillment of the prophecy as well. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. All right, connecting to the first reading. Connecting yep. that, that promise. But again, a promise that was fulfilled in a very different way. Yeah. That the house that David wanted to build or the house that God was going to build for him was going to be a different type of, it was going to be a people, right? not a, a physical location. Right. Uh, that And a different kind of dynasty that would be set up, kind of the dynasty of the church as opposed to the, the Davidic kings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, any other thoughts or? Um, no, I think, yeah. That, that'll do it for Advent. Yeah, that's... That's the end of Advent. Yeah. And then Christmas. Next time we go back to purple is Lent. So. Yeah, that's right. It'll be white from here on out, right? Yeah. And then a little bit of green. A little bit of green. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> back to purple. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty quick when we get back into another liturgical season. But yeah. Yes. Okay. So we'll we'll end there. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time at Christmas. Yes.